This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 229 of the Dressage Radio Show on the Horse Radio Network. This is Reese Koffler Stanfield from Georgetown, Kentucky. And this is Philip Parks from Fergus, Ontario, and you're listening to the Dressage Radio Show. With you, Philip is the producer. How yep. are you this it's week? You and me. I'm doing yeah, good. I know. I'm doing good. We I'm... can do it. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's just one extra thing, right? <laughs> exactly. It's our. It will add to our talents. So, Philip, how's your week been? It's crazy. I can't good. tell you how how crazy <laughs> it's getting, and just all it's of wedding this, countdown. All this planning coming to fruition. So. Um, yeah, I'm just trying to fit everything in, including the dressage radio show. So. <laughs> exactly. Well, I remember being that point right before Travis and I got married, and it is a very stressful time, but this time next week, next Thursday, you will be ready to party because Travis and I will be in Canada. So <laughs> I cannot wait for our trip next week. And of course, to our listeners, I will tell you, I'll give you a full report the week that Philip is on his honeymoon. Right. So we're really excited. Philip, are you going to, on your honeymoon? What are you guys still planning on doing? Yeah, we're heading out on Monday. So Saturday yeah. we're married, Sunday we rest. Monday we leave, so uh, so exciting, so exciting. So I think Glenn and I will be by ourselves. Maybe I'll have to have a special co-host the week that you're gone. But I will have a, a report for everybody on how the wedding was. <laughs> That's good. And when was yeah? When was the last time you were even in Canada? You know, um, we went for the Coupe de Marique. Um, when they held it at Blainville, right. and it was a wonderful competition. My sister ended up winning the gold medal there for team and individual, and my team, I think, was third. I, it was my first small tour riding, and it was a wonderful show. It was actually um, an exchange between Canada and the U.S., and it was right. my first sort of big international show. They don't do it anymore, but it was no. really fun, so yeah, cool. had a great time. Yeah. Cool. So I guess I got to update you on what's what's new in Canada, right? Yes. What's going on? Um, we got rid of the penny. Maybe that's the most relevant thing. You got rid of the penny? Really? Yeah. Well, no, you can't get a penny. Is... So if you're if you're somewhere and you're waiting for change, you're, you're and you not need gonna a, penny. a penny. Yeah. Not going to get a penny. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, that's good to know. <laughs> <laughs> that's good to, all, to to everybody that's listening. Philip told me that it's really getting cold, well, which, as cold, we all know, it's getting cool. Yeah, I mean, it won't be too long before it's snowing. I hope it's not going to snow next week, but um, it's starting to huh? feel it's fall. It's starting to huh? feel like here it comes. Right, we're getting snow. Yeah, snow, snow. As as our listeners know, I don't do snow very well. <laughs> I'm very complainy and cranky when it's cold. Cranky. So, um, yeah, I will be the one person showing up in a snowsuit. For the wedding, because I'm sure it's going to be even, very. You don't even cold. own a snowsuit, so what do you? Oh, do? I do too. It snows in Kentucky, <laughs> Philip. Yeah, right. Well, <laughs> I can't wait. I'm really looking forward to it. And yeah, everybody, fun. I'm super excited because I'm going to help Philip with all his horses and and pay him back huh, for. Um, <laughs> no, I'm really looking forward to meeting all of Philip's horses and seeing the barn. So I will give a full yeah, report on the horses. Yeah, yeah so I get to kick his butt a little before the wedding. So it's really exciting. So. That will be awesome. All right. Well, um, last week, last couple of weeks, we've been talking a lot about uh, Festival at Champions, um, which you, you know, you kind of hosted down there in Kentucky. So yep. I guess yeah, we better we talk about what happened. Absolutely. It was a great <laughs> week. Um, I really, actually, the weather could not have been more perfect. Really, truly, it was cool at night, but not too super cold, maybe sheet weather for the horses and a jacket. Um, and, but like 75 during the day, not a cloud in the sky all week. So, um, October usually is a really nice time in Kentucky. So, uh, so okay. the weather, well, here's was a question then, if that's sure. so great, yeah. why yeah. don't they host the junior young riders championships later in the season? And that would not be when it's so bloody hot. Why is it, why are they hosted so early? I think it's that little thing called school, but I'm not really sure. Oh, school that's, schmool. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go with school, and that's why it's in July in, Oct- in Kentucky, the, which is not October. I think that's the worst. They gotta, it's oh, terrible. It's, it's so hot for those poor kids. That, yeah, at, uh, yeah. Oh, it's awful. Or move it north. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, it used when I did it, it was in Chicago, but you know, the horse park's such a great venue. It's just very hot. So we're trying to make our kids tough. What can I say? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> um, but the weather was okay. gorgeous and it was right. really a wonderful time. And, and when it's, I don't know when it'll be back here again, but keep an eye out because you know, the, all the, everything was free. Uh, you know, you could do the tables and that type of thing, but uh, the rest of the time you could just pay five bucks to come in the horse park and it was free and they were great Grand Prix rides. They were great intermediate one rides. Um, so it was really cool to watch and to be a part of it. Uh, my student Cassie, uh, who we had on the show before she was fifth overall in the Brentina cup, nice. uh, had a great first ride, a couple mistakes in the last ride, which was kind of a bummer, but, um, she did a great job, super proud of her. And then Aiden Uller, who stayed with us one again, she stayed with us for during young riders and, uh, stayed with us again. She's wonderful. She, uh, won the young riders very handily. She was uh, by far the champion. And then we had Nadine who was here last on the show last week. Uh, Nadine had two, she had one really good ride and then the pony got tired. So, um, so she was tripping a little bit in her second test. So it wasn't as good as she had hoped, but she still finished really well and, and it was good. So Philip, tell us a little bit about the winners. Of the small tour, the winner was Kim Herslow and Rose Marin. I think we've had her on the show. We love her. Love Kim. She's <laughs> awesome. She's awesome. Yeah. And then um, second place was Caroline Rothman, who we've had on the show a couple of times. Love She's her also too. Really yeah. great. And then the um, big tour champion was Stefan Peters riding Legolas. So... Um, great guy. Also been on the show. We've had all all kinds of great writers on the show. I know. When you just look at this, um, I got the listing in front of me. When you look at this listing and how many writers and, and people um, from these lists that we've had on the show and uh, are great people and great friends of us, it's uh, it's awesome to see them do well. And uh, and you must have loved having all these uh, you know great oh writers down there and and you can see them and talk to them and uh, watch the rides. It must have been great. It really was. It was a great opportunity. It was really fun. And we're going to have Gunter Sedell on uh, the show today. He was second overall in the Grand Prix, and he has a wonderful horse. And I also got Gunter over to give Winnie and I a few lessons, and uh, which was great because I was sore in some places that um, <laughs> I shouldn't be sore in. So that was good. I'm like, oh, I really wasn't using that muscle, was I? Yeah. Um, so he's, yeah, he's going to be on the show today. So we have a great show. And awesome. we also have Hillary. Uh, more Hebert. She is wonderful. We love when Hillary comes on to do the Dressage Today segment. So we have a really, really good show today. After this commercial break, we have Hillary Moore Hebert on. She is the senior editor from Dressage Today to give us the Dressage Today update. A very it's a favorite segment here on the Dressage Radio Show. Hi, Glenn here from the Horse Radio Network, and I'm with Debbie from Equestrian Collections with the Equestrian Collections Product of the Week. This week I'm featuring one product that comes in a bunch of cool styles and colors. This is the Kelly Tech Trek smartphone case. Now, this is the first smartphone case that we have carried that actually is a good enough size to fit your smartphones. It's Five, it's it's um, half an inch by 3.25 by, get this, 5.5 inches, which means it's big enough to fit the iPhones, the Droid DNA, and Galaxy phones, those kinds of things, those bigger smartphones. Um, I, was, I have three different phone carriers in my trailer, none of which are big enough to fit the iPhone, but these ones are, and they come in such cool colors. They come in um, plaid, blue, and that has a picture of a jumper on it. They come in solid colors, purple, uh, pink, blue. They've got different horse designs on them. This is going to be a great gift. Um, not only do you want one for yourself, but you're going to want to get at $14.99, at 15 bucks. you're going to want to get a couple in different colors to match your outfits. You know how trail riders are, match your outfits, <laughs> but also to give as gifts because I think I think this is going to be a big seller. They're brand new. We're happy to have them on equestriancollections.com. And you just search for Kelly Tech Trek, T-E-K, 
T R E K, and you'll. And let me tell you, they they attach by a uh, uh, on the top with a snap on the top, so that you can put them on your belt loop. You can put them on your saddle if that's where you want to carry your cell phone, um, and you can attach them to um, a ring on your on your belt. So I think there's all kinds of ways that you can attach this while you're uh, out and about. At EquestrianCollections.com. This is our favorite segment of the month. We are so happy to have Hillary Moore Hebert, senior editor from Dressage Today, to talk with us about what's going on at Dressage Today this month. Hi, Hillary. How are you? Hi. We love having you. So we are ready and excited to just get right into what you have for us this month. Yes. So our October issue has a bunch of really fun stuff. It's still on the newsstands, and um, we're just going to wrap up some of the things that are on in the magazine before we're talking about going into November when I meet with you guys next month. But um, the first thing that I wanted to share with you is I did an article with um, uh, master trainer Jan Brink from Sweden, and he did a sidebar with me that I thought was really cool that we kind of pulled from a book that he did um, that uh, is only available in Swedish, but he was very kind and we worked through the translation. Um, But he talked about how when you do a translation of anything, that there's sometimes not exact translations and words, and I definitely noticed that as we do the translation from the German training scale. But he said that in Sweden, the biggest thing is that they don't use the term scale the way we do, where it means like a ladder or stairs. And so they um, really consider the training scale as a training, um, you know, more of a training approach. And what he says is he uses it instead as a picture of how the horse should have things in his training and that they're all milestones. So we're still talking about the same thing with rhythm, relaxation, you know, all the way up. Um, but that he uses it as milestones and that there are several pieces and modules that he works with throughout his training that form the base of the horse's training and the top arrives when you see it after that. So I thought that was really interesting and I wanted to hear your guys' thoughts on, you know, how you interpret the training scale um, in the way that we think of it as a pyramid in the U.S. No, I think that that's a really interesting concept and I think you know, it's it's essentially just a different way to look at it, but I love it. And I think that it makes dressage having either a scale or modules or milestones really helps sort of everybody, trainer, rider, horse, kind of know where they are and what they're working for. You know, I think dressage, there's so much theory that you can get involved with, but when you have an actual, you know, for example, we have the training scale poster in the arena and sometimes mm-hmm. Everybody needs to stop and we need to look at that and just just get make sure that our theory and where we're going is in the right spot. So I like having the scale. I think the same idea, having modules or having different milestones that everybody can sort of say, okay, hey, good job. You can now work toward collection, for example, or your straightness is off. That's why your collection's not working. I I, I find that very helpful as a teacher. Um and, and also in 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 showing people how to kind of troubleshoot when they have an issue and I'm not standing there, they can kind of stop and think and if they have to go look at the poster and decide where am I having some issues. So I find it really helpful and kind of helps get everybody through all the theoretical uh, stuff that you have to know. Philip, how about you? What do you think? Yeah, I think I, you know, uh, pretty much the same thing. I mean, I use the, the scale as a guideline, right? And that, you know, as you, as you're trying to evaluate how is my horse going or there's a problem, just like you said, um, let's go back to the guidelines and say what's, what's missing or what's, what's good and what's not so good and, uh, and uh, try and figure it out because it's, it's as much about the thought you know, of, of doing the training as it is about actually doing it, right? Like you can kind of get into a problem and, and uh, if you don't have a plan or, or somewhere to go with your issue, then you're not going to go anywhere, right? Like if you're not thinking about what you're, what you're trying to achieve, it's just, it's not just going to happen out of the air. So, um, I mean, it's just really handy that way and, uh, and make sure that you continue to, to train in a, in a good way. So 
I think that's good to always be talking about, um, you know, the guidelines that have been set out for training horses for hundreds of years, right? There's nothing new you can introduce into that um, to do it the best way that you can. Exactly. Well, and I think, I think um, it's really interesting. Uh, we had Chris Gottes here for um, the PVDA symposium. Uh, we had it uh, at my farm, I want to say last weekend, but now I can't even remember. Um, <laughs> but uh, we had a couple people come in, and what I thought was really interesting is um, Linda Pirelli actually flew up from Texas, and Tick Maynard came to do a natural horsemanship demonstration, but he's also long-listed for the eventing team and it was really interesting because I think that it's exactly what you guys were just saying there's so much horsemanship in general that has been around forever and I think it's sort of saying what is the foundation of things and whether we interpret it as modules or a pyramid or a ladder or whatever you know we're all really I think looking at the same kinds of things when you're doing things properly and I think that it's really neat to see how, um, you know, almost in our, dif- our separate worlds that cross sometimes, um, you know, how we almost are developing the same language and maintaining that same language, uh, even though we're across an ocean or in different disciplines or what. Exactly. No, and, and, and I, I love how you're just talking about that as well, because I think you can learn from everybody. You know, maybe it's learn what not to do, but you know, in this case, just thinking about it as modules or milestones is sort of a different way to wrap your head around the concept, and I love that. So, very, very good. And Jan Brink is wonderful. Mm-hmm. So, Hillary, what's our next? What's our next one? So the next one is speaking of going across disciplines. Louise Robson continues part two. She um, retrains a lot of uh, Queen Elizabeth's off-the-track thoroughbreds for dressage, and I've now been following her on Facebook, and it seems like she just is having success after success with them. Um, But she uh, really has an approach from there where she takes their training, their racing training, as a building block, and then she builds on top of those. And, you know, again, you're thinking about sort of building on things, but in her case, she has one exercise leading into the next. And I thought that was really neat. And I think, um, you know, you'd have to read the whole article to totally understand it. But where she talks about is like, for example, um, start and have your horse be able to just stay in sort of a steady rhythm with correct tempo uh, on the circle and then start to add transitions on the circle and start to add leg yielding, you know, and so you start with a foundation and then you build from there. But she goes back in her exercises to, um, you know, saying if you can't maintain that circle, then you have to go back to just getting the prerequisites of the circle before you can get those other things. And I think that that's really interesting to think about is not only keeping an eye on the elements of the training scale, but also if you're doing, you know, a, a diagonal, for example, to the tempi changes, or diagonal to extend a trot, if you can't keep straightness on the diagonal, then you shouldn't be starting the rest of the, you know, more advanced aspects of that movement. You need to go back to get, um, you know, a true diagonal. You need to be able to feel like you can maintain your position, have control of your horse, adjustability, et cetera, before you keep climbing up. And this was a great article because I, I do train a lot of thoroughbreds and mostly cause obviously because of where I am in, in, in the world. Um, but we do a lot for eventing and this was a really good article. I read the first part and it's really worth, if you have a thoroughbred or train thoroughbreds, it's a really interesting article to read. And I think it's really worth, worth taking your time to read it. So I, I really appreciated that one and it was very helpful for my own training. I think I just wanted to add to uh, Hillary's statement about, you know, being able to do, the basics um, first. I think also it's important to be able to do the basics well first, and to to have some repetition in it before you start moving on. You know, when a lot of times you want to get on a horse and then you're like, okay, it can do a circle, and then you know, go go go, rather than just saying, okay, I'm going to spend you know a few days here, a week here, maybe two weeks here until um, not only I can achieve 
the basics. I can achieve a circle or a diagonal or a good line, but I that the horse is really comfortable in that place before I start adding the next thing, the next thing. You know, even if they're good at the circle, I just have to always kind of step back, and especially with the with the hopper horses, with the thoroughbreds, you know, with maybe some young horses that. Um, that they really are confident and comfortable in the exercise before you start changing it. And so that you always have a place to go back to if you run into trouble, right? And so if if they're good at something, they'll be happy there and you can go back to it and, and it'll always be good rather than just saying, okay, now, you know, let's do transitions. Like, this is boring. Well, you know, I think repetition is such an important part of, um, you know, of dressage and of what we do that we have to remember to, to really to do that all the time and, and really make sure the horses are happy. You're absolutely right. Well, I mean, yeah, no, go ahead, Hillary. Oh, I was going to say, I really like um, how you said that it's making sure the horses are happy. And um, I think that actually ties into the next point that I had. Um, Cesar Trante did an article on 10 tips to get a 10 in the show ring, but it was really interesting when we talked with him because he actually is still a high performance rider as well. Um, so uh, he really gave us answers that were from the perspective of a judge, almost like he's watching himself ride and saying, you know, here's what I noticed that then I bring back to the barn to remember when I then go into the ring as a competitor. But what he talks about is very similar to that, where he says um, that you want to focus on accuracy, which is sort of what we're talking about, but also moving on if you make a mistake. And I think that, um, you know, that really sums that up in this situation where you want to make sure that even though um, you're making sure you're keeping an eye on the basics, you're not drilling things that your horse isn't getting, that you're saying, okay, how can we go back to a place that actually is a good foundation that I know that my horse is confident in rather than saying, okay, we don't have X and Y let's work on this until, you know, the horse is worked up into a tizzy and, you know, just feeling very unconfident and stressed out about it. Well, and I think definitely in the show ring, you know, by the time you're, you're getting to the show ring, it, it is not the time to, to open up or even the week before the show, you know, I think you have to be really smart and, and, showing versus training your horses. And when you're in the show ring, it's certainly not a time to, to kind of not be positive and not think in that way. It only makes it worse at that point. So I think that that's a really good, good. And, and, you know, we always do have to remember to stay positive. You know, I always, and I probably do it too, but I'm really, I really listen to my students. And if they say, Oh gosh, I'm just never going to be able to do that. I'm like, well, just even the positive attitude when you're talking is really important because if, if you say you're never going to do it, well, then you're probably not going to do it. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah. Philip, yeah. And, well, and then you- again, Oh, sorry, Hillary, but I was just going to say, you know, when you go into the, just quickly, when you go into the show ring, I mean, we always talk about this, about showing at a level below what you're training. Right. So again, yes. that talks to having good repetition and, and uh, being confident about, about going in. I was actually just going to ask you, um, how do you guys deal with, um, and let me give an anecdote to explain my question. How do you guys deal with a student? I have one student actually speaking of the off the track thoroughbred and they're very talented, have been doing really well in the show ring. They are very smart about, you know, just doing the tests that they are confident with. But um, at home when they have some training issues, I, notice sometimes that people get into one of kind of like over-focusing. So say your horse has a tendency to be a little bit um, sensitive in the connection. So you really want to work on suppling um, and you can get to the point where that's kind of all you're doing is every movement is a means to an end for suppling where you're, you know, spiraling in and out and you're doing some leg yields and transitions and everything. And you think that you're focusing on the dressage work, but you kind of hyper-focus on the thing that you're trying to fix. And at the end of the day, if you kind of have them leave that alone, it almost can work itself out. How do you guys balance um, having someone who needs to focus on the basics and needs to work on improving certain qualities but not overdoing it? 
Yeah, that's. A, I think that's a tough one. You know, I think that when I'm training, I, I always try to remember sort of what my goal is. And, and it kind of goes back to what is your goal for the day or what is your goal mm-hmm. for the week? And, and most everyone here, you know, they see me five days a week. So and on Monday, you know, I have a stretchy day and, and, and kind of get back into the groove. But we also talk about, okay, what are we going to focus on for this week? So if there is an issue that we're trying to work on, you know, that kind of comes up in that little, you know, five minute meeting or whatever it is and, and, and say, okay, let's try to work on this. And here's some things that we're going to work on. And as I see the week continue and things are getting better, I do try to say, okay, come on, let's, let's, let's bring in something else so that they don't hype, you know, that you don't hyper-focus. I, I certainly do it in my own writing too. It's really easy to do it uh, when you're really mm-hmm. focused on one thing. So I think, you know, knowing what you're trying to fix, knowing some other things that you could work on to help fix that issue um, is really important. Um, and, and just to say to yourself again, yes, you need to focus on basics. And you can, you you know, seeing Festival here last week and watching Gunter and Stefan warm up, you know, they're mostly working on basics. So I think that it's sort of a never, kind of a never ending concept. Are the basics, and and that that's where you're going to focus. So, you know, it, work on it, but then bring in some other things. I think um, so. You're not kind of hyper focused on it. Philip, how about you? What do you think? I think you have to really again. This is um, going to riding every horse as an individual, and so um, when I get on a particular horse, that I think, okay, this this I know the horse. This horse is a little bit maybe um, what you would call stiff. I'm going to get the horse to a point where he's supple for him and not try and make him a different horse, right? Not say, oh, well, this is a simple, I just have to make him supple, make him, you know, I'm just going back to Hillary's example there. And then, you know, and then he can never, you know, he's, he can never move on sort of thing. So, you know, you do your warm up, you do, you do, you do your suppling exercise, and then we're going to try something a little bit more difficult and that can help show me where the problem is, right? So I just move up and I say, okay, I'm doing, you know, I'm working on this a little bit. And then it says, oh, well, you know, the problem has occurred or something. And then I go back, you know, work the basics and then keep kind of going back and forth within the training of the horse. So I'm not stuck at leg yield. You know, I go on to shoulder and I go on to traver and say, oh, well, the traver can help me determine what's, you know, some more problems or, or what to focus on when I go back to the basics, but sometimes you can go, you know, you can just stick to the real, real basics and, and try to make them perfect without really identifying what is a, what is a major problem. You're just dealing with a lot of little small problems that may kind of always be there with that horse, you know, that you're never going to kind of solve them completely. And so you might just get stuck trying to, you know, make that horse you know, just like another horse that you have in the barn that is, you know, maybe a really super supple superstar. So again, like just trying different things and challenging the horse um, with the next level or a movement or, or something that's going to be a little bit harder can uh, can help you figure out, you know, what is maybe the real problem and and uh, you can work through it and you can keep it fun and interesting. So um, I guess that's my two cents on that. And, and I have some, no, I was just going to add to that. You know, I think that's where you can really use clinics or another instructor sometimes um, to get sort of a fresh perspective on your horse. Um, you know, if you have a horse for, you know, 10 years and you've been riding and training this horse, um, and I've had this situation happen in my barn recently, and that is, um, you know, a, a young woman has trained and trained with great trainers, and she's come into the barn, and some of the things that she's been telling me, I'm not seeing them anymore, you know, and, and that's what I told her. I said, you know, I, I hear what you're saying, and, and I've known this this horse a long time, but I'm saying, you know, one of the things is, hey, I think you've actually done a really good job sort of fixing that, so don't hyper-focus on something that I'm not seeing it anymore. Does that, does that make sense? So I think sometimes a, a fresh perspective looking at the horses can be very interesting. Yeah. Th- and I think, I think the other thing that's really interesting and I don't think, well, I think we talk about it, but I th- I don't think we recognize it enough is there is definitely the school of thought of get your horse totally ready before you approach a movement 
and other people who very much use those movements almost as, um, you know, a means to an end. So say, for example, some people will wait to have their horse ready so they can ride a shoulder in that would be quality for training. Whereas I've done clinics where the horse isn't supple and they're like, you know, let's go straight into a half path. And maybe the horse is not perfectly bent the way you would in the show, but you're getting that outside hind step underneath more than you would be able to get if you were just on, you know, a straight line. And, you know, then change directions and go into shoulder in on the quarter line and then change directions again and do shoulder in on the quarter line there. And it's sometimes it catches me off guard when I watch the different clinics or I'll ride in different clinics to see how different people's approaches are in terms of how they do the warm up. And a lot of times we warm up on our own and then we go and we ride with somebody. So you don't, you know, I think that there's a lot of things to that of getting into the the riding each day and, you know, how you approach things. And I don't think there's a right answer or a perfect formula, but it's really interesting to see how everybody sort of has a different approach to how they use the different elements of the dressage work. Yeah, no, it's, it's great. And Hillary, as always, we love your segment. Thanks for coming on. We always love the discussion and hearing what's happening at dressage today. And um, this was a great issue and, and I hope everybody picks it up. So Hillary, how do our listeners, if they have any questions for you, how do they find you? The best thing to do is to go to www.dressagetoday.com and you can find uh, how to connect with us. We always encourage people to submit articles and you can find out about how to subscribe to our print and digital editions there. Well, as always, Hillary is a favorite segment of ours and I'm so glad she always comes on the third week of the month. Uh, So loved having her. And after this commercial break, we're going to talk with Gunter Sedell, the U.S. team rider, and he was second here at the Festival of Champions last week with his wonderful mayor, Coral Reef Wailea. Glenda Geek here. The life of horse person is hard enough, and we all hate doing the required paperwork, and unfortunately many of us never get around to it, and it just piles up on our desk. That is about to change thanks to the EquiSketch Records app for your iPhone or iPad. My wife and I use it to track our horses, and we absolutely love this thing. EquiSketch Records is the most thorough and complete equestrian records app on the market today. We love this app because you can track your farrier work, your dental, your Coggins, medicines, worming, and so much more. And you can get reminders on your device when all of these things are due. You'll never forget a worming or shots or farrier visit again. But it not only tracks your horse, you can also manage your horse shows, including individual events. You can manage riders, including lessons and memberships, and so much more. And you can sync it between your iPhone and your iPad, and all of this for the price of a couple of cups of coffee from Starbucks. Search for EquiSketch Records in the iOS App Store or go to EquiSketch.com. That's E-Q-U-I-S-K-E-T-C-H.com. EquiSketch.com. What well, is truly my pleasure to introduce Gunter Sedell to the Dressage Radio Show today. Gunter, thanks so much for coming on the show. Uh, thank you for having me. Well, you are so kind. I already told our listeners that um, uh, my rider, Cassie, was on your pony team for the fundraiser. We had a pony games fundraiser, and you sadly or happily texted me, and so I scammed you on coming on the show to tell us a little bit more about your mare and your time in Kentucky. Well, I had, first of all, I had a great day. I left Kentucky, and uh, it was a very fun show. But I have to say, one of my highlights was the pony game. <laughs> it was so it was, fun. It was right before the freestyle, and I was more nervous about that than my freestyle. <laughs> <laughs> and your team was very the, good. Your team, it was a yeah, slow Yeah, were amazing. Yeah, it was fun. It was a fundraiser for the U.S. Dressage, and Gunter and Stefan, Debbie, Robert all volunteered their time to help raise money for USET and USEF. So I'm sure people can still donate if they would like, um, but it was really fun, Gunter. And you can run fast. You had to run quite fast because your team kept knocking stuff over. But I think we only had to run. I think there was talk <laughs> before about that we should, we, we should get on the ponies ourselves and run around. 
But I thought that would have been a bad idea because knowing how competitive we all are, we probably would have killed ourselves on this little pony. Yeah, yeah. yeah I think you wouldn't it was want a very hard hurt before you had the show. So who who was the winner? How did the results end up? I think I think Robert Robert and Debbie's team won. And um, but they had some very I think they had some very generous sponsors behind them as well. So. Uh, okay, well that helps. They did. It was a, it was a money game. So so each team, if you raised a certain amount of money, got a certain amount of points. And then right. there was a there was an element of you had to um, perform pony games, and so you got points for that. But it wasn't as highly weighed as the money was. Money. Yeah, so, I thought it was. A, I think it was, I think it was a brilliant idea. Actually, yes. I think it was a great Sounds idea. It was awesome. very fun. Yeah. And your team was very well coached. You did a great job. You had this slow and steady team. And, uh, Thank you. There, there, was every, there was one where, oh, we had a baton toss that didn't work, and it was great fun. It really was. I and, know. It and, was and, fun. Yeah. Well, Gunter, tell us about your lovely mare. She is wonderful. Well, my lovely mare, she traveled really well there, and um, we arrived in a big rainstorm. And then the weather turned beautiful the next day. And um, was a little, from the venue, it's um, a little different in the way that you have quite a track or a, a little walk from the stable to the warm-up area and to the competition ring. And she handled that very well. She was very good about going out and doing that. And um, she was a little tight in the Grand Prix. She actually started playing with her tongue and got her tongue over the bit. And on my first diagonal, when I went in there, I said, oh, my God. And then... Um, of course, the ride was a little hesitant, and in the walk, she got her tongue back under the bit and was good, and then the rest of the test was a little more solid. But um, that resulted in me riding a little more careful in the Grand Prix special, and she was good, but still was a, little, was a bit conservative, and then I think by the freestyle, she was really, really good and felt really solid and how she usually does. So it was, it was a good fun show overall for her. Yeah, and she was she was beautiful. Gunter, can you tell us a little bit about um, your freestyle and how you came up? Because it's really beautiful. Um, the friend of mine, Marie Myers, she, I rode her horse a couple of years ago for um, one season. And we made up a freestyle with Neil Diamond Music. And I liked the music so much, I took part of that over and added on to it. and made it a little more difficult. And that's how I came up with the music. And um, she helped me with the music. And... Um, the rest, you know, Terry Gallo does my, helps me with my freestyle music, putting it all together and, and stuff like this. So um, it's great music. And, you know, in the course of moving on, I have to change it slightly to make things a little more difficult as we go along. And as she's capable of doing something a little more difficult. But um, so far, I've gotten very, very good feedback on, on the music. So that's a really interesting question for all our listeners. How do you decide when is a good time to change your music? You know, it's expensive and, and it's time-consuming. So when do you kind of make that decision overall? Well, it depends on how much you show, too. I think at some point people get tired of the same music. But like you say, it's expensive um, to to choreograph something new and make new music. So it depends a little bit. I would, I would at least keep my music a couple of years with the same horse um, for at least two solid seasons. And then if I, if the horse is still very competitive and go out, then I would start to do something a little different because by then I think all the judges pretty much have seen you and have gotten used to it. And there's a plus and a minus to them. I mean, it's, it's nice when the judges are a little familiar with your freestyle and look forward to it and know it, then it's easier for them to judge, I think. Um, but also there's some excitement about something new as well. Yeah, I, I'm interested in uh, in hearing a little bit about Wylea and uh, you know about her personality and what she's like to train and and how it is uh, if you think there's a difference with training a mare versus a gelding versus a stallion. What has it been like to to get to know this kind of? She's still kind of new to you, right? She's yeah. I've had almost a year now, though, and yeah. I knew her from before a little bit, and I've had mares before, um, and I think. Um, you can't just say you have one man, they're all like this. But she is, she's very special in the way. She's a very, very hard worker. Um, she does not want, want quit. Quitting is not in her, in her mind ever. So um, if anything, she gets a little too strong and a little too eager to go. And that that's sometimes a bit of a 
problem in that in that way. But in general, she's um, a very eager to work horse. Um, and about mares, I think mares is a little bit like women. You know, you have be to careful. Very, be very, careful. Be <laughs> careful. very well. Otherwise, right. <laughs> they hold a grudge. <laughs> no, but it's it's true. They, they, she doesn't mind working hard, and if you, if she does something bad, you can get after her in a correct way. But if you do something uncalled for or something not quite right, she will hold a grudge, and she she does not like it. So, she, she's a she's a very good teacher towards the writer to do things correct and do it right. So, um, I I happen to just really really like her, and 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 I've had a couple of mares before, and I always got along with them fine. But they definitely can be more sensitive um, than most scoutings for sure. With stallions, it's a little you know, they get a little more sidetracked just because of their hormones. Um, with mares, you have that a little bit when they, you know, when they come in heat or something, but she does not change at all when she's in heat. She's perfectly the same, always. I would say for the ladies, the men get a little distracted with the hormones. I just thought I would throw that in there. <laughs> yeah, no, you know? I wasn't it's say the same that all the time. It's course. the same all the time. Right? <laughs> I had to throw it in, ladies. I'm sorry. That is much more, that is much more excusable. Well, Gunter, what what are your next plans with her? Where are you going from here? Um, we're having a little break right now. Um, and then, you know, nothing is written in stone, but the plan kind of is to go to Florida for a few shows, maybe the end of January, then come back to California and do some more CDIs here and hopefully then be qualified for the trials, which... I'm not quite sure if they're in Gladstone or not, but they're, you know, somewhere probably Gladstone or the West Coast. I'm not quite sure. And from there, they they picked the top six to go to Europe for the team next year. So that's kind of in the back of my mind. But like I say, you know, things you have a bad relative at the trials and you're out anyway. So it's nothing you can plan on for sure. It's just a goal to have. Right. I mean, I think a lot of times you have to kind of let the horse tell you when they're ready. And, and uh, you know, it's it's great to have the have the goal in mind. But sometimes they just are not in a great place when you want when you want them to be. So it can be exactly. difficult to try and get them to to kind of peak at the right time. What what do you say, you know, when you have a, a goal like this that might be a year away? Is there anything that you're thinking of 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 how to prepare for that? And, you know, like a long term sort of situation? I, yeah, but what you just said, it's a long-term plan. You can't just say, okay, in six months I'm going to try to do this. That Actually, that's what you do say, but then you stop planning right now. Yeah. Because you can't just start training a little bit before. You have to train up, get prepared, let them down again a little bit, and then bring them back up. So that's a, And that's a big um, part of being a good trainer. Or the successful people in the world, they know how to, to, to pick their horses at the right time, and that's super important because they can't always go full power. That's just not possible. So um, in, in that way, I have to say, be very, very consistent in your work throughout the whole time. Even if they have a little downtime, the horses, it's not like when... It, uh, I think some jumper riders might, might do the turning out in pasture and letting them run around for a, for a month or something. But I have found for dressage horses, especially when they're a little older, that doesn't really work that well. For me, time time off is doing some work, but doing it not in a dressage and going out on the field riding, but keeping them quite fit to a certain degree, just with um, mentally different work and um, different exercises. And of course, you don't do a lot of the, you don't do extended trots or really stick half passes or a lot of PF passage all the time, but you do a lot of gymnastic exercises which keep the horse supple and fit throughout it the body and without stressing them too much. And Gunter, how long do you usually let sort of that period last? I think that's always a question for riders. Like when you give a horse a break, how long, you know, two weeks, a month, what do you usually do? I do like a couple of weeks and then I pick up again a little bit. I do some movement and see how she feels. You know, then, then I do a little bit of massage. I put a little bit more together. And if she feels great, I do that for a few days and then go again for a week with something else. And if she, if for some reason I come back and go, oh, she feels a little rusty and like reluctant to do it or 
they'll stay for something. Then I stick with it and say, you know what? You're going to have to work a little through, get a little bit in shape again, and then let it down again a little bit. So it's constantly kind of going a little back and forth that she, that they don't totally fall apart. And what about competing? How often do you like to, you know, kind of get out there and and show as a, you know, as a preparation? Or again, maybe thinking six months ahead, you want to be at a top competition. And you know, within that time, how do you keep the horse sharp and and used to the show out atmosphere without kind of overdoing it? Right. It, it depends certainly on the horse itself a little bit, and I think it's good. Like right now, we have a couple of months where we don't have anything. But then, when you have a big show, you, again, you, have, you can have a, a break maybe of three, not longer than four weeks, but before before you do like a trial or a big the games or something, you would certainly not want to have more than two weeks out a show beforehand that you stay sharp. Any, anything longer than that doesn't keep you sharp enough, in my opinion. You know, one of the things that I've really noticed about your training is you're just such a kind person, and, and it really shows in your riding and in your horses. Gunter's Thank you so much for coming on the show. I hope you'll come back again. We look forward to hearing about your plans next year and, and see how you and Wailea do. Well, thanks for having me. Well, Reese, I think that was a pretty good show. We're not quite done yet. We got an email, which is awesome. So, Yay! <laughs> uh, one of our listeners had a question, a trainer tip type question. So uh, I'm just going to read the email, and then uh, we can talk about it. Great. It says... Would love to hear a trainer's tip on how to try a prospective sales horse on the first and second ride. Not the obvious things like bring your trainer, but maybe some specifics about about how to evaluate the ride and the partnership that will be in the future. What are some of the pitfalls in the evaluation to avoid? And... Um, yeah, all the help we can give her. This is uh, Jean Rudy um, on trial rides. This is a good question, actually, because I've got to do yeah. some trial rides coming up this week before I leave um, for a client who is looking for a new horse. This is kind of the time of the year that, that we do it yeah. as well here after kind of the show season and people are thinking of getting a new horse. Um, so, Reese, how about you... Uh, you take yeah, I'll start us off. Yeah, no, yeah. I'll be happy to. So I think number one before, and this is, you know, Europe versus America, It you know, in Europe, we could do a whole show on shopping in Europe, but I think in general, you need to make sure you have a quality agent that you're working for and or somebody that can speak the language from someone that has lived there. Um, <laughs> you know, I've, you know, and, and you too, Philip, like I have seen some deals go really badly and, um, at the time, I only was only speaking English, but I was fluent in German. So um, I heard some things and ended two deals that were not that were because they were trying to to pull some wool over my client's eyes. So or it wasn't even a client; it was a friend. Right. So I think it's important to take number one, a qualified and reputable agent, if you're going to Europe. Number one, it doesn't have to be a trainer. Um, but I think you need somebody that speaks the language and somebody to see to be your representative. So there are good people. There are bad people too, just like in America. And so you need to um, know that. So that's my first about Europe is uh, it's great to find Europe, but you need a reputable agent over there to kind of watch your back a little bit. But when it comes to trying horses in general, and this is Europe, but in the U.S. too, I've, I've certainly – or Canada um, – uh, I certainly have had really good luck in the U.S. recently. Um, so I always look stateside or in the continent before I start going overseas. I don't know how you feel, Philip, about that. But um, I start there and then uh, then go to Europe uh, if, if need be. And, and it, it's very needed. I think I actually have a trip this uh, winter to do, um, which is awesome. I love shopping in Europe. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm not going to lie. But here's the thing. like I think when you try a horse, number one, everybody's expectations need to to be clear. You know, what are you using the for, using the horse for? Is it for an adult amateur? Is it for a professional? Is it for an adult amateur that has professional help all the time? That's important to know. Um, so there's certain things that I do when I get on a horse in general. First of all, I, I want to feel how the horse is in the contact. I personally do not like horses that are strong. Uh, I had one 
one when I was younger as a young rider that was so strong he hurt my back all the, every day so I don't do strong so that's the number one if they're strong and locked in the contact for me that's not a desirable trait um, so I, feel, I like to feel how they feel in the contact and then I like to feel how they feel off my leg um, you know if I'm looking for myself I want something that's going to be quite hot off my leg uh, if I'm looking for an adult amateur, however, I feel that that's a little different. I don't necessarily want them to be um, super hot, depending on the amateur. Again, it's 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 a range. So that's the first two things that I check. I check um, sort of stop and go, uh, how they and how they are in the contact. Um, and then from there, I proceed on to doing exercises. I do shoulder and haunches in uh, changes if the horse, if that's what I'm looking for um, in an upper level horse. And, and are there issues? Uh, you know, can the horse bend left and right? That's important. Uh, are the changes clean? Huh? That's a big deal. Uh, when I ride changes, sometimes I try to just sit up there and not do anything. And what happens uh, without any major work? Just go across the diagonal and move your legs and see what happens. Um, I think that's important. Um, if I'm trying young horses, you know, I also want to see how that horse is maybe inside. I, I always take the horses outside if that's available. I always take them out to walk somewhere, if it's around the barn even or uh, on a trail ride, you know, or just in the field, which would be what we would do. I try to do that. So I try to do a wide variety of things with those horses. Uh, if you can, I try to take off my jacket. I know that sounds stupid, but I've had horses that aren't good about that. Um, so those are some things that I do on a regular basis when I try horses. But again, you know, I think where people get in trouble is expectations. And what do you need the horse for? What are you looking for? Philip, how about you? Um, yeah, th- I mean, that's, that's all really good stuff. I'm just trying to think, you know, when I, when I go, I mean, what I really try... You know, what's my advice here is just um, when, when I sit on the horse for the first time, I try and do as little as possible. Yeah. You know, I kind of throw away the contact, just put my leg on, like just really, really <coughs> basics. And I try and let the horse tell me how he, what's their personality? What's, you know, what are they going to try and do, right? So, uh, you know, when you, when you sit on, like, you know, I, I ride a lot of horses every day and I train a lot of horses every day, but I try and get on a prospective horse and not train it, which is tough. It's kind of like turning yeah. turning yourself off a little bit and just saying, I'm just going to kind of ride you and you tell me how you go, right? Instead of like getting on and going, oh, you weren't quick enough or, oh, you know, I got to fix that. I, gotta, I say, I don't fix anything. I just say, what's this horse like, you know? If if I you know if I let the contact go and and I put my leg on and the horse runs away then I say okay this is horse that wants to run away, you know and it's hard to evaluate that if if you're a trainer because you just want to get on and train right and say oh don't do that or you know do this or that so I really I do my best to really ride, um, as I think my amateur is going to ride like you know if I have an amateur that's not too educated with the hand or whatever then I and then I just kind of try and simulate that and then. You know, yes. and then just go through and do the exercises. If if the if the person tells me, okay, this you know, I'm going to see a second level horse, then I'm going to do everything from second level, right? And I'm not going to train the horse. I'm just going to try and ride some shoulder in, right? Not tell yeah. the horse how to how to do the. Tra- I mean, it's kind of hard to explain, but um, not try and tell the horse how to do shoulder in, but just kind of kind of point it across the diagonal or point it, you know, and, and push it down the wall and see if it does it, right? Um, what I really try not to do also is to say. Okay, this is a, you know this person has told me it's a second level horse, and then try and ride it third level. Like that doesn't make any sense, right? Yeah, that's a good sometimes one. Sometimes your client goes, "Well, will it do third level, Phil?" Like you know, they say, "I have no idea." They've told me it does second level. I'm going to try and do second. If it doesn't do second level, then you know what they told me it does second level. Then I'm like, okay, this is this is not making sense, and maybe this is not a good purchase, right? So you know, try not to train the horse, or try not to try and evaluate, you know, if if. If I think it could do third level at some point, somewhere down the road, I mean, you get into a lot of problems, you know, in having discussions with um, the person you're buying the horse with and also the person you're buying the horse for. Because, you know, you, you can say, I think it will do third level or I think it will do St. George. I don't know that, right? Like, you, you, nobody knows that. Nobody can tell you that because you have to, you have to walk down that road and then, and then try and figure it out. Like, after doing a ride or two rides, 
you can say, you know, to the best of my knowledge and in the horses that I've had experience with, yes, I think it could do. You know, like it's just so difficult. It really is a tough thing and you, you, you kind of get stuck as the trainer. But I think what I tell people, you know, um, you go and you look at the horse and it's a beautiful horse and it has an awesome trot, but don't overlook the walk, right? I mean, you know, stuff like that where it's like, oh, but he's got such a great trot and then it's like, Yes, but there's problems in the walk, or there's problems in the canter. Well, well, can't you fix that? Well, no. Maybe well, I've got it. Maybe, <laughs> maybe. Right? that's a maybe. That's a big maybe. <laughs> so, you know, when you're buying a horse, you know, I think you got to try and write down some things that say these things yes. are really important to me, and I will not overlook them. Here's a list of things that I'd like, but maybe are not as important, and I could overlook. Right. And here's some things that, you know, like are not important at all. Right. And so, you know, um, I try and get, you know, get get my buyer to kind of look at those things. Right. And and get into some some specifics. Right. And then you can kind of narrow down your list of horses and 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 figure it out. But I think people get in a lot, get into a lot of trouble and and uh, and it's just a very difficult thing. So. No, I think that was a really good idea. I mean, I we especially in Europe because you're tired anyways because you probably get off the plane and you go right to horse shopping. Uh, you think it's a European vacation, but it's actually a lot of work. And I tell people, this is silly, but if you haven't ridden before you go to Europe and you're looking for a horse, please ride. I mean, I know that sounds silly, but you're going to be on a plane for eight hours, get, get off, it's morning, and you're going to want to start shopping. So, um, you know, typically in Europe, you see maybe eight or ten a day sometimes, depending on the horses. So I always have a notebook. And that is true if I am going down the road. Like, what did I like about this horse? What are things that I don't like about this horse? Um, and I know this is silly to say this, but I always get a feeling if it's the right horse or not. You know, it's sort of like I, I say to my clients, it's kind of like um, finding a husband in a way uh, or, or Philip finding a lady, uh, depending <laughs> on where you're going. Yeah. Um, you know, you kind of know like, OK, I want to go. I can't wait for my second date. <laughs> and then there's some where you're like, yeah, you know, I just didn't feel it. If you don't feel it, it's probably not going to change. And I think some people yeah. overlook that. Like, what yeah. are some positive? What are negatives? There are going to be negatives on every horse. It's yeah. just like every person you date or go or marry, you know, there's going to be some negatives. But what can you live with? What can you not live with? And write it down. You know, when you get back in your car or whatever, however you want to write it down so you can remember and especially in Europe because you see a lot. Um, and then, you know, if you don't love it, don't bring it out again. You know, I, I'm That's very right. much. Yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah. I mean, you see that quite a bit. Like, oh, I th- you know, he was pretty good. And, you know, and yeah. you're just, you know, just buy the horse that feels right for you. Right. Right. I mean, right. Um, you know, the rider, like as a trainer and a rider, you can evaluate, you know, a lot of things and, and you know, you know, give advice. But in the end, it's it does have to be your decision. Don't get pushed into a horse that you don't like, correct? Or that you just you're not feeling the love, right? Right. Because yeah. If you don't feel end, it right away, your, it's your not horse. Be better, it'll, yeah. it'll be your yeah. horse. It will not be your trainer's horse. Right. Right. right? Exactly. And you know, I mean, you see that a little bit where you know the trainers. Oh, this is a great horse, and and maybe they're thinking for themselves, right? Like that's sure. Sure. that's a little bit of a love factor that. That that can happen. I mean, you right. got to ride the horse every day. You sit and you've got to groom it, it. Yeah, and you've got to take it, it to the horse right. show and feed it. And right. you know, I think that's really important. And my other sort of pet peeve, and I think people feel really uncomfortable if you don't like the horse. It when you see someone on it, tell them you don't like it. Yeah, <laughs> you know, you know what yeah. I'm saying. Like, it drives me crazy when people are like, "Well, I didn't really like that horse, but I rode him anyways." Well, okay, Uh, but... a little bit of a waste of time. It's a waste of everybody's time. It's a waste of the horse's time, number one. And then it's a waste of the trainer's time. And then the trainer typically has to go back and and re-ride it, et cetera, et cetera. So I think people always feel a little awkward when they're buying horses. Like, oh, they brought the the horse out. I should sit on it. If you don't like it, say it. Yeah, Yeah, it's like a... Yeah, I mean, (laughs) I've had um, lots of different situations in selling a horse, and I appreciate it. You don't don't think it's for you? Great. Doesn't mean it's not a. It doesn't mean it's a bad horse. Exactly. I mean, and and I don't really take it as a as a reflection. Nope. You know, on my training or on my riding or whatever. I mean, you know, as a trainer, we get lots of horses in for sale. You know, I'm. 
they're somebody else's horse, right? So, right. you know, or even if it's my own horse, I deal, I you know I deal with. I ride a lot of horses. You don't you don't necessarily like that horse. That's great. I, I no big deal. No big yeah, deal. no, I, I think that that's, that's the one question I get a lot. Well, what if I don't like it? Well, if you don't like it, say it. it and it may be something silly. It may be the horse's shape of his ears, whatever. It doesn't <laughs> matter. If you, you know, I'm just picking If you're not going to buy it, yeah, then don't, or if you're not just, thinking of just, buying it or it's just don't feel bad about it. Work, don't feel bad. People, yeah. uh, yeah, people understand. I, you know, I understand. I don't get offended. It's great. Nope. So, yep. Um, I think there's no, I, you know, from the going back to the email, I think there's no specific exercise that I get on and say, yeah, if I, you know, I do this and if I don't, you know, if the horse doesn't do that, that I don't buy it. Right. Nope. I think every horse is unique and every horse does the job in a little bit of a different way. So all I have to do is kind of marry the horse to the rider, right? right? Marry the horse right. to the job that he's supposed to do. Um, and then, you know, kind of think of the price after that. Right. Right. Because I, I, you know, I don't get caught up in prices like, oh, this horse is $30,000 and that horse is $20,000. Obviously, the $30,000, no, maybe the $20,000 horse will be perfect for you. Right. Buy that one. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Jeez, don't, save don't, yourself some money. Yeah. Save yourself some money. You know, don't, don't second guess yourself. You know, like you get a lot, well, I really like that one, but, you know, should I like that one? No, you like that one. Great. You know, like yeah. this is. You know, and then go and and talk to your trainer and and get get good advice. You know, get good advice. I mean, the other thing about advice, if it doesn't sound right, it probably isn't right. <laughs> yeah, you it's know, true. Just because I know a lot about horses and I, you know, I know quite a bit about training, if it doesn't sound right to you, you know, maybe that maybe the advice is not great. I, you know, this. Yeah. It's just a hard thing to to try and yeah, find the right I, horse for for. It is for a very right hard thing. And. and uh, it takes a lot of time and it takes seeing quite a few horses. Yep. And and I also tell people to do a lot of internet shopping. You, can, I have spent yeah, millions on the computer. I think that that's, <laughs> you know, educate yourself a little bit about, you know, what does a fourth level uh, gelding who's 13 cost? You can find that pretty easily on the internet and figure that out. Yeah. So you know sort of about price, you know about, it's pretty easy now to go online, but you do need to research a little bit before you go to Europe or before you go in the US and, and, and you can find out a lot that way. So, yeah. um, and the other thing is, yeah. you know, ride your friend's horses. I mean, I think that it is daunting when you don't, when, when you're not having certain people, um, you know, when you don't ride a lot of horses and it's daunting to be like, Oh, I have to go ride other horses. Well, call some friends up, ride some yeah. other horses, that yeah. type of thing. I think that's a really good idea. I mean, again, and, and you don't have to be a great rider to buy a horse. No, no. You know what I mean? Like, don't get nervous. Like, you know, no. you, you're, you're the rider you are and you come to a trial being that rider, just be that rider. Just take a deep right. breath and, and go for it. And if the horse, you know, if it's supposed to be for an amateur rider, it should be safe. It doesn't give you a safe right. feeling. That's not your fault, right? Get off. Get off. It's yeah, done. get off. It, again, doesn't hurt right. anybody's feelings. Yeah. And again, like, you know, I, I certainly sit on a lot of horses. I don't get along with 100% of horses I sit on. And, it, you know, I'm not going to try and, you know, go to somebody's place and train their horse. I just say, you know what, I just don't get a great yep. feeling. You know, that's... That's all there. That's all there is to it. It yeah. doesn't mean it's a bad horse. Doesn't even mean the training is is good or bad or whatever. I just I'm not. I don't get along with it. That's right. And I think yeah. really your gut feeling is important. And I tell people you'll know in your gut a little bit if it's the right horse. You know, that's how I I kind of know right away. I know. You know, I I I always say, can I envision that horse in my barn? And when I buy a horse for a client, um, you know, my thing is when you go on vacation, am I going to want to ride that horse and feed that horse and take care of him? That's sort of what I ask myself. And that's (laughs) like the question I ask myself, like, am I going to look forward to coming in that barn and sitting on that horse every day? And um, if I say no, well, then I don't even look at it. Or or if there's something in me that says, yeah. So those are some advice. And and really, we could do a whole show. We could do three shows on this topic. It's a it's a tricky topic. Um, to try horses. It really is. But always go with somebody you trust and always have, you know, your expectations of what you want the horse to do and have, you know, do your research. And I think you can always be successful that way. You could do your best anyways. I mean, it's never yeah. going to work out a hundred percent of the time, you know, for everyone. Right. All they the are time. animals. I think just, it just, you know, stuff happens and, and, you know, yeah. that's, that's life. And, you know, you can get the best advice and you can do the best job and, 
and sometimes things just get a little messed up and that's i mean that's the way it is it's right true. when you're buying cars sometimes you buy a car and and the thing breaks down the next week it's just you did the yeah. best you could and and then you sure. you move on so yeah hopefully that helps yeah hopefully thank it you helps. so much for the for the email yeah, and yeah. uh we love it we love to get a you know get on a discussion and get on a topic like we said we could talk about this for hours probably yeah. but, <laughs> you know we have to cut ourselves off once in a while yeah exactly <laughs> especially when we don't have a producer that kind of We'll yes, cut us off. It's enough. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully that wasn't too much too rambling, much. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> well, everybody, you can find our show notes and links to today's guests on our website, dressageradio.com. You can like us on Facebook. Just search Dressage Radio Show. Follow us on Twitter at Horse Radio. My website is maplecrestfarmky.com. And my email is reese at horseradionetwork.com. You can find me at philipparksequestrian.com and you, my email is philip at horseradionetwork.com. I'd like to thank our sponsors this week for allowing us to put on another great show. And don't forget to check out all the other shows on the Horse Radio Network at horseradionetwork.com. And I just want to give a special shout out to Philip and Meredith that you guys have a wonderful wedding next week and uh, we can't wait to be there and celebrate. And I know everybody, all of our listeners are cheering you guys on. So uh, have a great it's week. It's going to be wonderful. We're Meredith. really looking forward to it. Yeah. Absolutely. You, yeah, no problem. And <laughs> we will, we, we will probably not talk to you, Philip, for a couple weeks. Next week we're off. Uh, I don't know if you plan that, but well done, Philip. We are off <laughs> for the next week from the Dressage Radio Show, and I will be back uh, while Philip is on his honeymoon. And uh, for sure, it'll be Philip, uh, Glenn, and I, because as we know, I can't produce. And uh, maybe we'll have a special guest. So thanks everybody for listening, and keep your heels down and your shoulders back. And we'll talk to you in a couple weeks. <laughs>